2 Samuel chapter number 3. Now we're going to read a little bit of Scripture. I want the entirety of the context. So we're going to begin reading at verse number 6. We'll read down to the end of the chapter, about 30-something verses. But I know you're patient. Amen. I know you ate your your Wheaties this morning, so you're ready for it. 2 Samuel chapter number 3, verse number 6. The Word of God says, And it came to pass, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner made himself strong for the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ai. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Now, let me say, Ishbosheth is the son of Saul. And uh, Abner was the uncle of Saul and was his general. And so he was a powerful man in the kingdom of Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, said to Abner, Wherefore hast thou gone in unto my father's concubine? Then was Abner very wroth for the words of Ishbosheth, and said, Am I a dog's head, which against Judah do show kindness this day? unto the house of Saul thy father, to his brethren and to his friends, and have not delivered thee into the hand of David, that thou chargest me today with a fault concerning this woman. So do God to Abner, and more also, except as the Lord hath sworn to David, even so I do to him. To translate the kingdom from the house of Saul, and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan even to Beersheba. And he could not answer Abner a word again, because he feared him. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, make, a, make thy league with me, and behold, my hand shall be with thee to bring about all Israel unto thee. And he said, Well, I will make a league with thee, but one thing I require of thee, that is, thou shalt not see my face, except thou first bring the call Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Deliver me my wife Michal, which I espoused to me for an hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, even from Faltiel, the son of Laish. And her husband went with her along, weeping behind her to Bahurim. Then said Abner unto him, Go, return. And he returned. And Abner had communication with the elders of Israel, saying, Ye sought for David in times past to be a king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord hath spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spake in the ears of Benjamin. And Abner went also to speak in the ears of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel, and that seemed good to the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner came to David to Hebron and twenty men with him. David made Abner and the men that were with him a feast. And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel unto my lord the king, they may make a league with thee, and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desireth. David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. And behold, the servants of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop, and brought in a great spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he was gone in peace. When Joab and all the hosts that was with him uh, were come, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he hath sent him away, and he is gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king and said, What hast thou done? Behold, Abner came unto thee. Why is it that thou hast sent him away and he is quite gone? Thou knowest Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee and to know thy going out and thy coming in and to know all that thou doest. And when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of Sarah. But David knew it not. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. 
Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house. And let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue, or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, slew Abner, because he had slain their brother Asahel at Gibeon in the battle. David said to Joab and all the people that were with him, Rend your clothes, gird you with sackcloth, and mourn before Abner. And King David himself followed the bier. And they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. All the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dieth? Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fell us thou. And all the people wept again over him. When all the people came to cause David to eat meat, while it was yet day, David sware, saying, So do God to me, and more also, if I taste bread or aught else till the sun be down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner the son of Ner. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? Now I know that's a lot of reading, but I want you to notice verse 39 especially. David says, And I am this day weak, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zariah, be too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for your word. I pray you bless it to the hearts of your people. Give me the words to speak, Lord. Don't permit me to speak anything I should not. Give me boldness to speak that which must be said to glorify Christ. We'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, we love you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know we did a lot of reading of Scripture there, and I appreciate your patience as we read through it. But it was important that we understand a little bit of the context of what's going on in this passage concerning Joab and Abishai, which are brothers, and Abner, who was Saul's general. There's really a few individuals and a little bit of a story that you need to know to understand what's happening here. David had three nephews, one named Joab, one named Abishai, and one named Asahel. These three young men were brothers. They were generals in David's army. Uh, They were mighty men of war and great leaders. And uh, David also, or excuse me, Saul had an uncle by the name of Abner. Now, when you study the life of David and the reign of David, when you study the reign of Saul, you'll find that there's an equivalence between these two men, Abner and Joab. Abner was the leader, the general, the seasoned veteran and war horse of the kingdom of Israel. He was the one that had led the charge. He was the one that had led the battles. Much of Saul's success was due to Abner and his military prowess and his bold courage. So he has been a stalwart a fixture in the land of Israel for many, many years now. When Saul dies, Abner originally endorses Saul's son Ishbosheth to take over the throne. Now remember, at this time, folks are clamoring for David to be king over all Israel. Uh, David was already king in Hebron and king over the southern tribe of Judah. And there was folks that knew that Samuel, the old prophet of God, had anointed David and that it was the will and the desire and the wish of God for David to reign on the throne. Abner could have very easily turned away from all of Saul's family and went to David, but he did not. He stayed loyal to Saul, stayed loyal to his own family, and he endorsed Ishbosheth 
uh, to be the king on the throne. Well, what we read about here in this passage before us is Ishbosheth begins to get a little paranoid about Abner. Uh, he says that Abner had had a relationship with one of Saul's concubines, and uh, part of the reason this would have been criticized and looked at askew is not only because it would have been immoral, but also because it might have been an avenue uh, for Abner to try to displace Saul, for him to marry one of those concubines and try to garner some legitimacy for himself. So Ishbosheth, he starts getting a little worried uh, about uh, Abner. And when he confronts Abner about this, Abner uh, is enraged and he's offended, he's insulted, and he says, look, if this is how I'm going to be treated, I'll just go and help David take the throne. And that's what Abner does. He leaves the kingdom of Israel. He goes uh, to Hebron and he meets with David. He goes out to all the various places in Israel and says, you wanted David to be your king. Now's your chance. You need to make David your king. He's got my approval. He's got my support. Now stop and think about this. The the army of Israel, of the northern kingdom, is without their great general. They're without their great leader. They're being led over by the young king Ishbosheth that no one has confidence in. Abner, uh, so went Abner, so went the kingdom. He was a powerful, influential man. On the other side of this issue, you have Joab. And Joab was for David what Abner had been for Saul. Though Abner was Saul's uncle, Joab was David's nephew. But all throughout the history of David, we find that Joab is right there with him. And Joab is his great military leader, his great bold general. If you go back to chapter 2, and we won't take the time to do it, but I encourage you to read it tonight as you get home and have a little bit of time, you'll find what was the source of the contention between Joab and Abner. But one day, as these generals are out with their respective military, their platoons, their troops, whatever you want to call them, their soldiers, they meet each other in the field of battle. And Abner comes to Joab and he says, you know, we could get out here and we could kill each other all day long, but it'd probably be better, Joab, if we let the young men, our great champions, go out here and fight it out. Whatever they decide, that'll be how the battle goes. We'll give you the spoil if your people win, and if we win, you've got to give us the spoil. Joab said, you know, that sounds... That sounds pretty good. And so they send their young men out and they fight back and forth. And Joab's men, David's men, they beat Saul and Abner's men. Now, it should have been enough that they had won that battle. But Joab, seeing an opportunity to cripple the kingdom of Israel, him and his brothers pursued after Abner. The Bible tells us that Asahel, one of these three brothers, was fleet of foot. He was like a deer when he ran. And he was chasing after Abner. Now, Abner, for whatever failings that he had, he seemed as though he had a little bit of integrity because he looks back at Asahel, this young man that's chasing after him, whom he knows is no match for his uh, ability and for his skill as a soldier. And he tells Asahel, he says, turn aside and grab the armor from one of these dead men and fight me with that armor on. I'm not wearing any, but you can wear armor. Maybe you'll have a chance to survive. Asahel says, no, I'm going to kill you. He continues to chase him. Then Abner turns and looks at him and says, there's no reason for you to die here today. Why don't you turn back and go home? You all have already won. There's already been blood that's been shed. Just turn back and go home. But Asahel, in his youth and in his zeal, he refuses to turn away from the glory that this would have brought him in battle. And he pursues after Abner. And it seems if I read my Bible right, that Abner finally begrudgingly turns and slays Asahel. When he does this, a word reaches Joab and Abishai, the brothers of Asahel, and an enmity and a hatred and a spite is born that day that we find here in our text this evening is born out before us. Why was Joab so interested in killing Abner? He wanted vengeance for his brother. Now somebody's going to say, Preacher, that's good and I appreciate story time and everything, but what does that have to do 
with our text. And even further, what does that have to do with me and my life? Well, I'm interested in what David says down here in verse number 39. He makes this statement. He says, I am this day weak, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zerai, now he's talking about those three brothers, or two of them now. He's talking about a Joab and Abishai. He says, they be too hard for me, too cruel for me, too vicious for me, too difficult for me to handle. And he says, the Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. As I read through this passage, I see a little bit of a thought here that I want to share with you. And I want to preach to you on this idea, weak though anointed. I'll tell you what David found out that day. He found out he couldn't control Joab. Now, when I read about Joab in the life of David, I sort of get thinking about something. When I think about Joab, he was a consistent, a constant companion of David. seems like everywhere David went, Joab was right there with him. We find that he was oftentimes a, a, a contentious, a, a challenging, an opponent of David. In fact, I remember hearing a preacher say years ago, he's talking about Uriah the Hittite and the slaying of Uriah. And you remember that David gives a letter to a man and tells him to carry that letter to Joab and to command for Uriah to be put at the hottest part of the battle and for the troops to draw back from the preacher. Asked this question, never occurred to me before. Said, I wonder whatever happened to that letter. And what he was saying and suggesting by that is it's possible that Joab hung on to that letter. It seems like David had unending patience with Joab. Joab would be disrespectful to him. Joab would defy his wishes. But some reason, somehow, some way, David always seemed to tolerate Joab. And this preacher was suggesting, I guess we'll have to get to heaven to find out. But I think it doesn't sound out of the realm of the possibility that Joab was blackmailing David, that he knew this when no one else knew this, and that he was using it. Uh, to gain power and influence. He's this contentious opponent against David. Then I would say this, I think about the fact that Joab, he's actually the flesh and bone of David. That Zerah that's mentioned there, that is the mother of these three boys, and that's the sister of David. What he's saying is, I'm stuck with these people, but they're too much to handle. I cannot control them. I don't know about you, but that sort of starts to sound a little bit to me like the way the believer is with their own flesh. It's a part of us. It's never going to leave us. It belongs to us, at least on this side of glory. We're not going to be eradicated from it. It is a constant companion, and it is our greatest enemy. It can do more to destroy us than anything else can. You know, when you think about what David says here, I'm weak though anointed, it sort of reminds me of the dynamic of the believer. Saved by the grace of God, knows the Lord, indwelt by the Holy Ghost, anointed of God, a child of God, but still we have our battles because of how the flesh afflicts us. What does it mean to be anointed? Well, it, it has some very distinct descript meanings in Scripture. Uh, often in the Old Testament, it meant for the oil to be taken and poured upon the head. That was done in the priesthood. That was also done in, in the, in, in the uh, dynasty for the king. But really, when we talk about anointed, the anointed one, we're talking about one that is three things. Number one, we're talking about a person that is selected by God. Whenever Christ is called Christ, the Messiah, it means the anointed one or the selected one, the chosen one of God. In other words, the one that God 
gives preference and gives favor and gives use to. And you know, that's what David was. He was the one that God had ordained to rule and reign on the throne of Israel. That didn't change when this happened this day. He was still the anointed of God. He was still God's choice. He was still one that God associated with. Then number two, to be anointed means to be strengthened by God. Uh, For instance, part of the reason they would pour that oil on their head was it was a picture of the outpouring of God's Spirit and of God's power upon that king or upon that priest. All throughout the Bible we find this uh, analogy drawn between oil that was used in the Old Testament and the Spirit of God in the New Testament. And certainly we find that to be the case for David, that he was strengthened, he was energized and enabled by God for his task. He wouldn't have been king had God not enabled him to be king. Then also it means to be secured by God. To be the anointed of God means that you're by the will of God doing what God has called you to do and you are fixed and you are placed and you are secured by God. You know, that's sort of how the believer is. The believer is loved by God and chosen by God. It doesn't mean that they don't choose God as well, but it does mean that God knows them and loves them and that God has chosen to associate with them through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. Uh, They're loved and chosen by God. They're energized and enabled by God. The Spirit of God dwells within them and enables them to serve Him and live for them. And You know, you can even be doing all those things and be in the direct will of God, doing what God desires, living for God. You can find yourself exactly where you need to be, but weakened by the flesh's influence. I hope as you sit here today, you could say all three of these things about yourself, that you're living for God, you're serving God, you're doing the will of God, you're working for the Lord. But you know, even in all those things, you can find yourself in a place of weakness. Now, how did David get there? Well, when I read through my Bible here, I notice something. We didn't read this verse, but I'm going to read it to you now. Look at the first verse in the chapter that we're in tonight. Verse number 1 of chapter 3. The Bible says, Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. Now, think about that. The Holy Ghost says about David that he was strong for the king at the beginning of this chapter. When you come down to David's own words in verse 39, he says, I'm weak this day, though I'm anointed king. What had happened in the interval? Well, we've read it tonight, but I want us to focus a little more on it for a few moments. But I'll go ahead and tell you what happened. Joab killed Abner. And that is what he's referring to. The actions of Joab weakened him as king. Though he had a greater position in some ways to assume the throne, he did not have to contend with Abner any longer. He was a weaker king for the actions of Joab. Can I say your flesh makes you a weaker Christian, not a stronger Christian? Now that may seem like a very silly or or elementary statement. It may seem like a very obvious statement. But how often do we allow the energies and impulses of the flesh to be the driving factor in our life? And There's even times we try to do the will and the work of God through the energy of the flesh, Brother Ken, instead of doing it by the power of the Spirit of God. When are we going to learn that the arm of flesh will always fail? How was it that Joab had weakened David. Well, I want you to notice these three thoughts and then we'll have the Lord's Supper tonight. First, I want you to notice that David, with Joab as a picture of his flesh, David as a picture of uh, the new man or the believer, that part of the individual that knows God and deals with God. How was it that Joab weakened David? Number one, he weakened him by speculation. Can I use another word that we use sometimes? It's the word paranoia. Uh, you know, we are all prone to letting our mind wander, and run wild. A wise man once told me, it was a pastor, and he made the statement, he said, 
I have had to specifically learn to deal in what is known and not what is possible. Because if you're not careful, you'll fight battles that don't even exist. I'll tell you as a pastor, this is something I've had to deliberately have to do. Uh, The devil will run wild in your imagination with problems that don't even exist, with uh, trials that don't even exist. You'll allow your mind through speculation, through paranoia, to weaken you as a Christian, as a child of God. Whenever Abner comes into the camp of David, Joab is not there. He's out on a military campaign. When he returns, uh, he finds out that Joab ha- or that Abner has already left the camp. And listen to what happens. The Bible says uh, in, uh, let me find it down here in our text. Listen to how Joab responds to this. Verse number 25, he says, Thou knowest Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee and to know thy going out and thy coming in and to know all that thou doest. You know what Joab thought? He thought he had it all figured out when he couldn't have been wronger or further from the truth. What was it that it caused him to do? Well, I noticed two things. Think about this with me. Number one, it caused Joab mistrust of an ally. Joab made an enemy of Abner when Abner did not have to be an enemy. Can I remind you that Abner didn't want to kill Joab's brother when he killed him? In fact, and I don't know that Joab or Abishai knew this. In fact, we have no reason to believe that anyone was within earshot except Asahel and Abner in that conversation between these two men when Abner was trying to turn Asahel back. But we know through inspiration of the Holy Ghost through the record of Scripture that Abner did not want to kill Asahel. He was not a cruel man. He was not a vicious man. He was far less vicious than Joab was. He didn't want to kill that young man. He did everything he could to avoid killing that young man. But see, Joab didn't know this. And so Joab lets his paranoia run wild in his mind and he makes an enemy out of someone that didn't have to be an enemy. You know what you'll find if you allow paranoia to live in your mind? It'll it'll make an enemy out of people that aren't really your enemy. It'll take and use people that really ain't never done anything to you and turn them into your foes and turn them into your enemies. In fact, I would say this, that Abner could have been the greatest help and ally to Joab in his entire life had Joab not allowed his paranoia and his mind to run away with him. Uh, The devil will take your mind and he'll twist it and he'll warp it. He'll create entire worlds in there that aren't really reality, that don't really exist. And he'll use that to beat you down and buffet you and hobble you from serving God. It's far better, listen, two things. One, if you find yourself suspicious of someone, number one, take it to the Lord because He already knows it. He already knows it. He knows what to think. You're guessing what they think, but He knows what to think. You're guessing what they do, but He already knows what they do. Number two, even if that person may possibly be an opponent, even if there may be someone that might hurt you, you know you can still trust God with them. You can still trust God with them and with that situation. So instead of allowing your mind to be the driving force and allowing it to shape your perspective and your perception, allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to do it. So it weakened him because it caused mistrust of an ally. But then number two, it caused a missed opportunity. Uh, listen to what it says in verse 38. David makes this statement after he's mourned for Abner. The king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? You know what we find? We find that Abner, as soon as he made up his mind to support David, he went around and started rallying the troops for David. He went around and started getting everybody he could to support David. And he had Israel ready for David to assume the throne before he ever got to David. This is the man that Joab is convinced is a spy 
and a traitor. And yet he was probably and could have been the greatest ally that David could have ever had in his life. You know, there's no telling how many friends, how many helps, how many sources of encouragement, paranoia can rob away from us. I will tell you, some of the people I love most in life, I would have never thought I would have. And I'm sure some of them can say that about me. I, when you pastor, you have unusual friendships. Uh, you run with unusual crap. I, as a pastor, there's things I know that nobody my age knows. Like I know every nook and cranny of UT Hospital. Don't nobody my age know that. Uh, I, I know the best times to check the obituaries during the week. When are people more likely to die and wind up with their obituaries in the paper? Weird things that you learn and find out when you're a pastor. But I'll tell you one of the strangest things in 10 years of pastoring is the sweet friendships and blessings and encouragement that God has given me through His people. Sometimes through individuals that if you had asked me, I would have never imagined God would have used them in that way. I could tell story after story, particularly about folks that have gone home and are with the Lord now, that God used early on in pastoring to be a blessing and to be a help to me. You know, the sad truth is very often if we live in the realm of fantasy, if we live in the realm of speculation, we're robbed of people that could be a great help to us by allowing our paranoia or our suspicion to run wild in our heart and in our mind as opposed to allowing the substance and truth of reality and of God's Word to dictate our relationships. I'll tell you right now how it weakens you. It makes you feel like you're living on an island all alone and nobody is there to be a help and encouragement to you. You know that's not the truth. You know, with God's people in particular, I don't know if you realize this, but we don't, listen, we ain't, uh, we don't get, how do I want to say this the right way? We ain't forced to be here. We're here because we want to be here. The folks that pray for you, they ain't getting paid to pray for you. They love you. Uh, the people that are trying to encourage you, they're trying to encourage you because they love you. They care about you. I'm just telling you, listen, particularly around God's people, they're here because they support you. They love you. They want to be a blessing to you and a help to you. Uh, don't allow the mind to be the devil's playground. So he was weakened by speculation. Number two tonight, I want you to know he was weakened by spite. Joab did what he did because he had a bitterness he could not get over. Can I tell you that there's been a great many Christians that could have done great things for God that allowed spite and bitterness to derail them in their service of the Lord. The Bible says in verse number 28, this is interesting to me, after Joab has killed Abner, this is what David says afterward when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Now, what does that suggest? Well, it suggests that Abner, or that Joab, excuse me, was guilty. It suggests that he had sinned, that he had done wickedly, that he had done unrighteously. And David goes on to say this, let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house, and let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue, or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. Can I ask you this simple question? How did this vendetta work out for Joab? Did it work out well or did it work out poorly? I'll tell you how Joab envisioned things happening because every vendetta comes with a, with a, a, a fantasy of concrete. We all, when we want revenge, have a way where it's all going to work out where it ain't going to affect nobody but the people we want it to affect. But rarely, and I would probably say never, is that the case. I'll tell you what Joab expected. He expected to meet Abner on the field of battle and to be able to slay him and take his revenge and come back. David would say, boy, what a hero you are, Joab. How wonderful you are, Joab. Everybody would say three cheers for Joab. Man, they'd be thrilled that Joab had finally done away with that wicked old Abner. There's one thing 
that disrupted and derailed his vendetta. And that was the kindness of Abner. He had made Abner into the boogeyman in his heart and in his mind. The only problem is that wasn't really who Abner was. He had framed his entire concept of who Abner was by this one event, which, by the way, he didn't have all the information of. He didn't even really know what had happened that day. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Because if he did, he wouldn't have gone on the vendetta that he went on. He wouldn't have hated Abner the way that he hated him. If he could have seen how with tenderness Abner pled for Asahel to turn back so that he wouldn't have to die that day, he wouldn't have felt that way. Joab, he didn't have all the information. And he allowed his entire perspective of this individual to be molded and shaped by partial information. What did this spike do? Well, it did two things. One, it deceived Joab. Things didn't quite turn out the way that uh, Joab had hoped. One of the interesting things and dynamics you'll find in the life of David, and I don't really know why it's like this in David's life, maybe because how strong of a personality he was, how magnetic of a personality, but there was forever people doing things for David that he didn't want done. There's a day when uh, men go and they draw water out of the well of Bethlehem. They, they cross enemy lines and draw water out of the well of Bethlehem. They think that's going to impress him. David took it, poured it out. He said, I would not drink this. If I drank it, I'd be drinking the blood of my men uh, for putting you at risk for doing that. There was a young man came when Saul had died and came from, from uh, Ziklag and lied to David and said that he had slain Saul. David took and, and cut him down and, and hewed him down because of it. Uh, there was two men, by the way, two Benjamites. You can read about them in chapter uh, number 4 that uh, go and they kill Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. And then they go and brag about it to David. He said, David, we did what you wanted us to do. He said, I didn't send you to do that. Uh, and he takes him and kills him. There's forever people doing things for David that he never asked him to do for him. Joab probably no doubt thought had this same delusion. He thought, David's going to be so proud of me when I finally get my vengeance on Abner. You know the flesh has the ability to deceive us. I, I've never listened. I've never heard my flesh speak, but what it has always told me that I'll be better for listening to it. And I have never listened to my flesh, but what I have been the worst for it. It's amazing the power of the flesh make you think that somehow this time it's going to work out better. It had deceived Joab into making him think that he was going to get away with it, that it was all going to work out great, but that's not what happened. In fact, what happened, it deceived Joab, then it destroyed Joab. Joab had a worse end than Abner did. Abner died a quick death and had no reason to believe that his progeny, that his descendants would have any problems or any trouble. In fact, they had the favor of King David. You can go later on and you'll find out, in fact, that they were used by Solomon in the administration of the temple. Uh, later on, they were given a job in the temple. The descendants of Abner were. In fact, the uh, great nephew of, of Abner, Mephibosheth, was taken, restored back to a place of, of prominence and a place of authority in the kingdom. But Joab's life was forever plagued by that destructive act. He lived a miserable and sorry life and died in shame later on. What's the old saying? You've heard it before about uh, about bitterness. It's like acid. It destroys that in which it's stored more than that, on, more than whom it is poured. It destroys us more than it destroys anybody else. Uh, I've seen many a believer weakened by bitterness, weakened by anger, weakened by spite. You're never made stronger by spite. You're always made weaker by it. Then I would say this, and I'll be done tonight. I know you don't believe that, but it's true. I would say he was weakened by speculation. It caused the mistrust of an ally and it caused a missed opportunity. 
uh, had he allowed uh, things to play out before him and not tried to jump ahead and allowed his own paranoia to dictate the circumstances, he would have found in Abner a great ally and probably a great friend, just to be frank about it, someone that was a great help to the kingdom. Uh, but that's not what happened. He was weakened by spite because of what Joab did. Uh, David was put in an, uh, in an uncomfortable situation and uh, it deceived Joab, it destroyed Joab, it didn't turn out the way that Joab hoped and the way that Joab expected. But then finally I'd say, and this has to be said, it has to be noticed, I would say he was weakened by sin. Now, that seems a little obvious. Somebody's going to say, well, preacher, isn't it uh, listening to our mind instead of, instead of Lord, isn't that sin? Yes, that's sin. Say, so, preacher, isn't it sin to allow vendetta and bitterness to reign in our heart? Isn't that sin? Yes, that's sin. But what I mean to suggest by this is that Joab, though he thought he was justified in what he was doing, what he did to Abner was wholly different than what Abner had done to his brother Asahel. Remember that Asahel died on the field of battle. He was pursuing after Abner on a day when blood had been shed and swords had been drawn. But Joab, he lures Abner back to Hebron and pulls him aside in a dark alley and puts a knife in his rib. He kills him and cuts him down in cold blood and in viciousness. And that's reflected by the response that David gave. He said, let this guilt be on the head of Joab. But now, let me say, beyond what it did to Joab, what did it do to David? Because I think that's really what David's saying when he says, I'm weak, though anointed king. He's saying, I'm supposed to be king over Israel. I'm here where God wants me. I'm here doing what God wants me to do. But I find I am in a worse position here now than I was a few days ago. It is more difficult, David's saying, for me to be king. Though what would have been perceived as being an opponent and one that would be in conflict with me concerning the throne, though he has been removed, I am not closer to being king. I am farther from being king. What did he mean by that? Well, I would say that this sin committed by Joab, it weakened David in two ways. One, it compromised his reputation. David does something interesting. As soon as Joab dies, or as soon as Abner dies, he begins to make a big deal about this. He goes out in front of all the people and he mourns publicly for Abner. He goes to his men and he tells them, and the Bible goes out of its way to tell us that he told Joab before he told the rest of them that you're going to put on funeral clothes and you're going to mourn and you're going to weep and you're going to follow that funeral beer, that casket, and you're going to make a big public spectacle of how sorry you are that Abner is dead. Why did David do this? Abner is not in David's realm or in his kingdom. I would think most people would understand if David had been ambivalent about the death of Abner. After all, Abner perceivingly would have made it more difficult for David to be the king. Here's the problem. They knew how Abner had died. If he hadn't died on battle, he had been cut down by an assassin. And David knows how it looks. It looks like David sent Joab to do his dirty work. And you know what it did? It sullied his testimony. It compromised his reputation. You know the problem with the flesh in your life and mine? Even the things we do in the energy of the flesh are tainted by the flesh. The things that we do through our own means and through our own ability, they don't give glory to God. They, they denigrate our reputation and our testimony for Him. You know, there's been a lot of people that wanted to go on and do things for God, but they had things in the past they couldn't get over, they couldn't get past, sins that they had committed that followed them the rest of their days. Now let me tell you, I'm thankful for the grace of God, aren't you? 
Man, I'm glad God forgives us, forgives us. And I, and I think God's people ought to be a forgiving people. And I think if, if the Lord puts it under the blood, man, it's under the blood, we ought to be able to move on from it. But you and I both understand and we both know that there can be things that a person has done in their life that though it doesn't make them a second class Christian, it does preclude them from being able to serve God in certain ways. They've allowed something in their life to compromise their testimony their reputation, and whether they like it or not, whether it's fair or not, it has become a hindrance to them in the service of God. It's part of the reason it's important for us to guard our testimony. We ought to guard our testimony. That's right, I'll just keep saying it till everybody's amen. We ought to guard our testimony. Uh, our testimony is a precious thing. It is not easily repaired. We ought to guard it carefully. So it compromised his reputation. But then I'd say number two, here's part of the reason it weakened him. It jeopardized his reign. Jeopardized his reign. Had Abner been left alone, David would have sat on the throne of Israel that day unchallenged. He would have sat there with Joab on one side, with Abner, the uncle of Saul, the, the lion of Israel, the old war horse sitting on the other side of the kin. And nobody would have questioned his authority. But the killing of Abner, you know what it did? It threw everything into disarray. Because now the question is, who is the king in Israel? There was no telling. Was it Ishbosheth? The last that most folks knew, Abner had wanted Ishbosheth to be king. In chapter four, Ishbosheth is cut down. But at this moment, David is weaker in his position concerning the throne than he was before. It jeopardized his ability to do the will of God in his life. You know, I find that the flesh prevents me, it hinders me from being able to do that which God wants me to do. And Paul found the same thing. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, you know, I, I cannot do that what I, that which I would do. He said the things that I desire to do, I cannot find a way to do them. He said the things that I don't want to do, those are the very things that I do. What he was describing was this conflict that lives within the experience of the believer in the New Testament. He was saying that there are things that I know I ought to do and that I desire to do, but my flesh withstands me every step of the way. Paul would go on to say that God gives him the victory and that he dies daily and that only through the mortifying of the flesh can victory be given to the Lord. You know, that's the point of the whole thing. When we allow the flesh to rule and govern in our life, you know the flesh never does want to do what God wants to do. It will always hinder you in the service of God. But we'll find that the more we mortify the deeds of the flesh, the more that the Lord is able to use us in our life for His glory and for His honor. So the question is tonight, if you're saved by God's grace, you're anointed of God. Now, I'm not trying to equate you with Christ, and I'm not trying to equate me or anyone else with Him, but I'm saying this, that we're loved by the Lord. Even when we fail, we're loved by the Lord. God don't throw us away. God knew what we was going to do before we've ever done it. He don't turn back. He don't, He don't, He don't get a refund on our salvation. He's in it for the long haul. We're loved by Him. We're strengthened by Him. We're secured by Him. But you know, you can be all those things and still be weak in Him if you allow your flesh to govern your life. So the question is, what's going to get the victory? Who's going to get the victory in your life? Is it going to be your flesh or is it going to be the new man? If you'll allow these things to live in your life, they'll cripple you so that you can be all those things and yet not be used of God. This was one of the most dangerous days in the entire reign of David. This was a day when had it not been for the grace of God, he could have lost the whole kingdom and lost the throne. And it was all because Joab wanted to operate in his own flesh, instead of allow David to be the king. You know, if we allow the flesh to govern us instead of the new man, we'll find it can destroy us as well. Let's bow together this evening. The musician comes to the piano. The altar is open.
And I want to give you an opportunity, if God's spoken to your heart, to meet Him in this altar and to deal with Him and allow Him to deal with you about whatever it is He might have spoken to you about. There could be some area of your life. could be spite. could be uh, speculation, suspicion. Uh, it could be that the devil wants to make your mind a playground. Uh, it could be he wants to make your, your life his playground. Uh, it could be some sin that is trying to work its way into your life. You know it will destroy you if you permit it to do so. But in whatever way, you'll find that if you'll just mortify the flesh, you'll find strength in the Lord. Why don't you find a place down here if God spoke in your heart? Lord, I pray that you'd bless this invitation. Pray that you'd glorify your Son. We ask it in Jesus' name with our heads bowed, our eyes closed.